0: Welcome to the Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel. It is Friday, January 19th. It's cold. There's snow in the forecast here, so we are gearing up for another weekend, staying cozy inside the house, baking bread, and making soup. At least those are my plans for the weekend. I know it is much colder in other areas. Our agency team here at Ritter is mostly located out in Omaha, and Jen Flair posted in our Facebook group that the real feel the other day was negative 41. So in Harrisburg, PA, we're not quite there, but it is indeed that time of year. It also happens to be the time of year when we're in a little bit of flux. Here in PA... The ACA OEP comes to an end today after being allowed to remain open a few extra days because of Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday. The Medicare Advantage OEP is in full swing and will be until the end of March. And then the news, well, the news has been interesting lately. So we've got a bit of a hodgepodge this week, but still some interesting headlines. Let's get into our list with number one. A new security feature is coming to iPhones with the upcoming iOS 17.3 update. It's called Stolen Device Protection, and the update changes a few important security settings on your phone, hopefully making it more difficult for a thief to get information off of your phone should they come in contact with your device. With the feature enabled, iPhone users will no longer be able to use the passcode fallback for a selection of actions. Instead, Face ID or Touch ID will be required to access passwords or passcodes in your iCloud keychain, to apply for a new Apple Card, to view an Apple Card's virtual number, to turn off lost mode, to erase all content and settings, to take certain Apple Card and Apple Card savings actions inside the Wallet app, to use stored payment methods in Safari, and use your iPhone to set up a new device. Stolen device protection also adds a further layer for sensitive information adding a one-hour security delay in addition to Face ID and Touch ID when the device is not in a familiar location, like say your office or at home. Again, the stolen device protection feature must be enabled and the delay will go into effect when a user changes their Apple ID password, updates certain security settings related to an Apple ID, like removing or adding a trusted device or phone number, recovery key, or a recovery contact. It'll apply when you change the iPhone passcode, turn off the Find My feature, and when you turn off stolen device protection. Again, this is an opt-in feature, but it has been designed to combat a thief who either knows your passcode or has learned your passcode through surveillance, making it more difficult to wipe the stolen device. As of right now, the iOS 17.3 update is rumored to come out next week, so we'll make sure to confirm if that's the case in next week's episode. Number two, I recently came across an interesting article on ThinkAdvisor by the esteemed Bryce Sanders. His expertise is in client acquisition, more in the financial industry, but the great thing about some of his advice is that it can work in both industries, financial and insurance. I wasn't sure what to expect when I clicked into the list because I've often considered myself to be an early adopter. I can't say that I've ever thought about that attribute in relation to the insurance industry. But after reading this list, well, obviously now I have. I'm not going to get into all the reasons he mentions. There are a few too many for that. But I do want to highlight three that agents should be thinking about in 2024. First up, being an early adopter means embracing tech. And that's important when it comes to communicating with your clients on their terms. While some of your clients might be okay with phone calls or face-to-face meetings, there are some who would prefer interactions to happen via text, email, or even video messaging platforms. Rather than focusing on the discomfort in learning a new technology or process, think about meeting the client where they are, communicating with them the way they interact with others. When you do that, your client is more likely to get the message and respond, as opposed to letting them face the discomfort of picking up the phone or coming to your office. Same thing holds for having an online presence and at least one social media account. You've got to be present online where your clients are so they can find you. Next on the list, agents should have an appealing newsletter. We mention content on this show regularly as fodder for your client newsletters. In a way, our Friday Five episodes are a bit like an audio newsletter where we aim to keep agents updated with current industry, business, and tech headlines. There's a lot of beneficial content out there that you can share with your clients, Framing it all in a newsletter that serves to inform, educate, and keep you top of mind is just good business, especially when your business involves leveraging your reputation for referrals. Healthcare news, lifestyle news, information about Medicare premiums, the annual COLA. You can even include business and tech info just like we do. When you fill your newsletter with appealing and compelling content that your clients want to know about, they begin to look forward to your email missives rather than deleting them just to get their inbox to zero. And finally, the last one that I'll mention here, when you're an early adopter, you reap the benefits of the technology you use. And for insurance agents, that should include a CRM short for Client Relationship Management System. We talk about the CRM functionality inside the Ritter platform quite a bit here on the podcast. And our development team has created features within the platform that allow our CRM to fully integrate with our other tools. If you're not utilizing that technology or something similar, you're missing out on those benefits. A CRM helps you set reminders to follow up with your clients. And I don't know about you, but I need those reminders to follow up myself. And I've often needed to be reminded to act with a follow-up. In our CRM, agents can take notes on their clients, so all of that information is accessible when you need it within your client record. That is much easier than juggling multiple spreadsheets or flipping through a notebook. We'll be linking to that full list of reasons to be an early adopter in our notes. Highly recommend checking out the full list because there are a lot of great nuggets in there to pull out and apply to your business. Number three, a small update on the Rabbit R1 announced at CES last week. Since the AI Pocket Companion was announced, Rabbit and Teenage Engineering, the team behind the device, have sold pre-orders for 40,000 units. In last Friday's episode of The Verge Cast, they talked at length about the device, citing some privacy concerns, as well as talking through the logistics that make the device work. After listening to that episode, I understand a little bit more about why so many people were excited about getting their hands on one. The device claims to give users access to apps and the web, essentially giving them a cloud computer with their purchase. The R1 acts as a bridge between that cloud computer and their other owned devices, completing tasks that might have been performed, as I mentioned in last week's episode, in multiple apps or even on multiple devices couple of things that the team at The Verge brought up, some questions about privacy and how the R1 claims that they won't need to store your passwords, and then also the issue of bandwidth and data costs for 40,000 users accessing these little cloud computers and their devices with no additional fees per month. Press releases and information around the R1 state that it's just $200 for the device and that is it. Now, beyond the conversation in the Verge cast, I tried to think very practically about how I would use the Rabbit R1, and to be honest, I can't come up with a whole lot of great use cases at the moment. But if you're compelled by some of the tasks mentioned in the keynote... Apple Shortcuts and Google Routines might do the trick for you. Both of those allow users to create their own task flows, like getting an info brief at a certain time of the day or ordering Starbucks through CarPlay via an Apple Shortcut. Definitely not as cool as a device learning to do those tasks without you having to set up the workflow but it will save you a little bit of money on the pre-order, at least until we learn a little bit more about the Rabbit R1. I don't think it'll be too long before we get some hands-on reviews, and we will definitely revisit the R1 when that happens. Number four, there is a new calendar app coming to a smartphone near you. Although, if you used Cron and were a fan of that app, well, This one might look familiar. Notion Calendar is a new standalone calendar app made to integrate with the Notion Productivity app or act as a standalone calendar, and it is based on the acquisition of the Cron app made by Notion a few months ago. One thing I really like about the Notion Calendar that Outlook currently does not do is the ability to drag and drop appointments and meetings to different days. If you're using the calendar from a scheduling standpoint, that is super helpful. Another helpful option is how you're able to view the calendar. You can customize the amount of days that you're looking at. So if you're, again, using this for scheduling purposes, it can be helpful to view more than just seven days at a time. The design is simple, it's easy to use. It might be a bit sparse on the integration front at the moment, so not as handy as using Outlook with its built-in Teams integration. But again, I think if you're looking for a simple calendar app to replace a paper version, this might just do it for you. Also important to mention, while this app does integrate fully with Notion, At the time of launch, it's currently only able to integrate with Google Calendars. No integration yet with Outlook. But I would imagine, given the popularity and user base of Outlook, that they are working on that. Also, the app is currently only available on Mac, Windows, and iOS, with plans for an Android release at a later date. I am always on the outlook for an app that can replace my paper planner, but so far that has not happened. Notion Calendar, though, might be the app that does it. If you've been looking for a calendar app that could do the same, this one might be the one for you as well. Number five, KFF recently published the results of a poll that suggested, quote, most older adults are unaware of key drug provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act, including Medicare's new cap on out-of-pocket drug spending, end quote. The poll was taken between October 31st and November 7th, 2023, and focused on four main areas of new savings for Medicare Part D beneficiaries. The poll started out by asking, quote, as far as you know, is there a federal law in place that dot, 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 end quote. And then that was followed by four statements to which respondents could answer three ways. One, yes, there is a law that does this. Two, not sure. And three, no, there is not a law that does this. Let's get into the results because I found these very interesting. In response to the statement about the federal government program to negotiate the prices of prescription drugs for Medicare beneficiaries, 32% of respondents answered yes, while 58% answered they weren't sure, and 10% answered no. To the statement on insulin cost being capped at $35 per month for Medicare beneficiaries, 26% answered yes, 61% answered that they weren't sure, and 13% said no. When it came to the annual limit on out-of-pocket prescription drug costs for Medicare beneficiaries, 23% of respondents said yes, there is a law that does this. 63% said they were not sure, and 14% responded no. And finally, last on the list, a statement about drug companies being penalized for increasing prices faster than the rate of inflation for people with Medicare. 13% said yes, 64% weren't sure, and then 23% answered no. These percentages suggest that most Medicare beneficiaries are not aware of the benefits they received because of the Inflation Reduction Act. These are great tidbits of information to educate your clients about during sales meetings and in the newsletters you're sending out. If I had to offer my educated guess on why there's so much uncertainty, I feel like the Inflation Reduction Act is a lot like the Federal Student Loan Forgiveness Program. So many different iterations were proposed and talked about That by the time the legislation actually became law, most people had stopped following along with what was officially included. So in short, the news cycle had already moved on to something else. But studies like this are a great source for content ideas, like adding a write-up about what was included in the Inflation Reduction Act to your client newsletters. We'll be linking to that study and a few other related KFF articles in the notes. You'll also find links to the other headlines we mentioned here today. During the week, if you see something you'd like us to mention here on the Friday Five, feel free to send it in via email, asgpodcast at ridderim.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail on our hotline at one seven one seven. 562 I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there. And we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing, an integrity company. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing and fact check by Tina Lamaru. Podcast designed by Urban Rivera. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. Follow along with us wherever you like to listen.